I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. This will certainly have an adult theme and might well contain strong scenes of sex or violence, which could be quite graphic. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. What do you not listen to? Um... <laughs> chart music. <laughs> chart music. <laughs> it's Thursday night. It's January the 7th, 1982. It's Top of the Pops. It's Attack of the Zoo Wankers. It's Cap Sleeved American Dad Nonsense. It's Jerry Curl Activism. (laughs) Oh, pop crazed youngsters, the flags are a drooping and the balloons are sagging like old men's sausage tits. Hey up, pop crazed youngsters, and welcome back to part three of Chart Music number 49. I'm Al Needham, they're Neil Kulkarna and Sarah B, and this episode of Top of the Pops has been bad 80s from front to back thus far, hasn't it? Shambles. I feel like yeah. in order to rescue this episode of Top of the Pops, and indeed this episode of Chart Music, it just needs some kind of, mm. I don't know, like some kind of massive injection of fun, joy and delight. I mean, I'm just—I don't know. I—I I know mm. you can't always get what you want, but you know that's that's kind of what I feel is mm. is kind of needed now. I mean, this is the thing, though. If you were watching Top of the Pops when you're 13, like I was, or whatever age you were, you'd be three uh, songs in and thinking, "Oh, fucking hell, five. But you, you're still clinging on, aren't you? Mm. You always cling on. If you you sit down to watch Top of the Pops, you're there for the duration, I think, because you don't know what number you don't always know what number one's going to be. Yeah, you don't know what they're going to pull out at the end, you know. And it's like, well, you know, you sit, you you. Take it through the bad times and see it to the good times. Whatever it takes. Come on, let's gird our loins and forge on. We're British, for fuck's sake. We can take it. (laughs) Yes. Come on, January 1982. Get your fucking arse in gear. (laughs) Alton Edwards just want to spend some time with you. You've heard of Meatloaf sold thousands of albums. Now a hit single, Dead Ringer for Love. How, having ripped off his waistcoat in a new pop frenzy, is surrounded by the zoo wanker dressed as Frank Spencer in the TA, a couple of presentable girls from the audience, and a lad who has turned up of his own volition in appalling clown makeup <laughs> with a shirt with pinstripes and crisscrosses and love hearts drawn on it in marker pen with a weird bow tie. 
Powell then tells us that the next artist has sold thousands of albums and here's his latest single. It's Dead Ringer for Love by Meatloaf. Born in Dallas in 1947, Marvin Adey's music career began when he relocated to Los Angeles in the late 60s and formed the band Meatloaf Soul, after a nickname his American football coach gave him on account of being a big lad. After supporting the likes of them, the Stooges, Janis Joplin and the MC5, the band split up when he joined the cast of Hair, leading to him and fellow cast members being signed to Rare Earth, Motown's rock label, for a one-off LP. However, when one of their songs had their vocals erased so Edwin Starr could nick it, he flounced off back to Off-Broadway. In early 1973, he auditioned for the musical More Than You Deserved, where he linked up with the songwriter Jim Steinman, the former lead singer of The Clitoris That Thought It Was a Puppet. (laughs) And they immediately started work on an LP project, which took five years to germinate while Loaf put in work on the original stage production of the Rocky Horror Show and the musical Rockabye Hamlet which turned out to be his debut solo LP, Bat Out of Hell. After a very slow start, Bat Out of Hell eventually sold an estimated 43 million copies worldwide and became a permanent fixture in the Billboard chart for years. Over in the UK, however, the reaction was initially negative, including a review by Melody Maker, which called Loaf and his chums the worst rock and roll band in the world. But an appearance on the old grey whistle test in May of 1978 led to his first appearance in the UK singles chart when you took the words right out of my mouth got to number 33 a month later. And the follow-up two out of three ain't bad got to number 32 in September of that year. Then, in January of 1979, Bat Out of Hell re-entered the UK album chart and stayed there for 204 weeks. And this week, it's still hanging in there at number 34. This is the follow-up to I'm Gonna Love Her For Both Of Us, which only got to number 62 in October of 1981. It's also the title track from his latest LP, which went straight to number one on the UK album chart last September. The single also features a guest appearance from the singer Sherilyn Sarkissian, who hadn't been in the UK chart since Dark Lady got to number 36 in March of 1974 and had just abandoned a short-lived disco career for a go at this rock thing. After entering the top 40 at the beginning of December, it's been on a ridiculously slow pull up the lower reaches of the charts and this is its third week at number 30. But fuck it, it's a slow week in the charts, so let's see the video. But before we get stuck into it, that lad, fucking hell, what, what is, what, what, what? Well, what, what why? What? Why cloud? Why? <laughs> <laughs> Why? Yeah. He's, I mean, look, Powell has been told, right, to ditch the waistcoat, but I wouldn't have noticed because of that bizarre sudden appearance of basically Zamo in (laughs) And and a guy dressed as a soldier. You know, this is the kind of, this is the kind of wackiness. Yeah. um, Cop uniform type shit that isn't fun. It's just exhaustingly and aggravatingly inconsequential and pointless. And 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 it's exactly what Zoo are all about. Really. Yeah. I mean, people go on about Tank Top Boy in uh, in the appearance of Starman, but why is no one talking about this? He looks like Ralph Wiggum at one of Simon's Romo nights, doesn't he? <laughs> <it? laughs> 
It's amazing. Is is his mum done that? What what what's going through that lad's head? I'd love to interview him. Yeah, with with ketchup. It's like he's just kind of fallen face. Yeah, he's got overtired and he's just fallen face down into his fish fingers, and you know. Yes. And not looked in the mirror afterwards. How did he go to school the next day? Yeah. I mean, just how could you? And live. And live. Why? <laughs> Why does this happen? I'm just, I'm still confused. But it's not that sort of, uh, sort of happy, com- I'm, I'm, it's an angry confusion at this moment. Yeah. He's probably dead now. Yeah. Uh, uh, top of the Pops doing mm. this deliberately. Oh, oh, look at you normal people trying to be like Zoo and failing. <laughs> Maybe, maybe. But this is the entry point for me and Food Giant, as uh, as Taylor calls Meatloaf. I mean, I'd heard him, <laughs> and I'd seen I'd seen that image of the motorbike coming out of the grave with all bats around it loads of times. Mm. But I thought they were a heavy metal band, mm. yeah, and this well, is the would. first yeah. time I'd actually seen him. And fucking out, what an introduction! Let's let's yeah. unpick this video from front to back. Yeah, I mean, meets in a pub with his mates, who were all wearing t-shirts with his name on it, just like. Ode Alton, but you know, it makes it look like it's Meatloaf Stag Do, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, they all kind yeah, of yeah, barrel yeah. in at the start. Like everyone else is just hanging out mm. and they're, they're expecting to have another boring night. And there's a, a kind of a, a a gang of a gang of awesome women just just kind of yeah just just hanging out, minding their own business. And then this bunch of guys kind of fall in, just like whooping and yelling and I think they've just been to a they've just yeah. been to a game or done a game or something. So he's in he's in his standard outfit of a waistcoat with a with a frilly shirt, which I always call a land shirt because I used to work in a factory in Upnall and there was this one uh, labourer called Lance who was he, he was a bit sucker and he had one shirt which he wore every time he went out which was which had all those that frilly shit down the front. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mum used to wash it and iron it for it. The other thing he used to wear all the time was um, was when, uh, as soon as the weather picked up, and and this was an indication of that that summer was finally coming. He had a pair of shorts with the uh, bananas and pineapples on them, which were so tight <laughs> that um, his bollocks would would flop out over the side. And you'd be kind of like working in the factory, and all of a sudden, right across the other end of the factory, and it was an enormous barn. You'd hear people starting to bang on their uh, on their workbenches and cheer, and then the next thing you know, Lance is coming down with his bollocks swinging out of his shorts, and everyone would start banging on the benches and singing, "Here comes summer," and that's when you knew. What a lovely moment! Yeah. It was it was good. So yeah, he's wear he's wearing a land shirt and he, he's in the pub with his mates. He's wearing a a, a Vionetta with a waistcoat. Over yes, it. yes. Yeah, yeah. So mm. it it it's mm. like a it's like a kind of it's like an unholy amalgam of of uh, dessert and snooker. Mm. Yeah, and he's 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 essentially trying to cop off with Cher, who looks like Amy Winehouse's mum, <laughs> through the medium of song. It's essentially an update of "You're the One That I Want," but yes. with less fairground rides and more pissy yeah. lager. Which I mean, "You're the One That I Want" was so massive; it's still fresh in people's heads at this mm. point. And this has that same musical duet vibe. I mean, I think this video, this video is one of the reasons I do love this song. It's yes. one of the greatest sort of non-Bollywood Bollywood yes. videos ever. Um, I mean, for starters, yeah, like how, like you've mentioned, Cher looks fucking amazing. And, and Meat looks like a geek, which is what yes. he is. They have a real charge to their interactions. When you contrast this with, say, 
Meatloaf and Lorraine Crosby in the um, I Would Do Anything for yeah. Love video. It's so completely different. There's also shades of West Side Story yeah, yeah. as well in the kind of divided sexual dynamic of the set. The setup. But people, basically, everyone involved here is throwing down their best yeah. shit. Um, the, the, the backing people meet, share... Meat has the first verse, and he plays it just right. Just really yeah. good miming. A little bit scarily obsessive. Yes. And, and sort of not playing a role so much as just being himself, a geeky yeah. kid with a really That's amazing the, voice. Yeah. You know, and when it comes to Cher, she just fucking owns her verse, and she looks sensational. Yes. That, to me, is sex. <laughs> the way Cher looks. It, it was at that yeah. point in my life. That was what I understood understood about adult sexuality. That is sex. She looked fucking amazing she's, in this yeah. video. She's, a, and, and she's essentially the, playing a role in Mask three years in advance here, isn't she? Yeah, she is a little bit. But the details become so important to the energy and the joy of this video. Little things, like the way that she yeah. chews gum. Yeah. And the slight smile she has. And the red rag that's in Meatloaf's hand. Kind of halfway between security blanket and someone's purloined <laughs> underwear. Yes. Uh, that's really important <laughs> yes. as well. She, you know, if, if it was a competition, I, I would say um, Cher wins this song. Mm. She bosses this oh, fucking video. Yeah. She's so sexy. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. It is like, and her legs, her fucking legs, and uh, she's got this teeny tiny weeny leather miniskirt on and a leather jacket and her hair is massive mm. and her eyes are rude. And yeah, she sort of, there's a there's a bit, just everything she's doing is is... is so if you were there, you would you would literally be a living, drooling emoji <laughs> in response to this. So, um, and, and, and for me, it's a really important. It's an important record in terms of how I think about Meatloaf because you know how with some artists you can sort of hate everything they've mm. done but love one thing. I mean, I know we're mm. meant to like Meatloaf because he's clearly a nice guy, but I find yeah. most of his music that kind of overflorid. Jim Steinman operatic yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah. I find it pretty revolting. In fact, operatic mm. in general, in general, when applied to pop, I think operatic is, is not something I like. It, 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 I don't like it. It's that instantly overly rich, florid thing that Queen perfected and that kind of leaves me cold. Even though Todd Rundgren was involved in Bat Out of Hell, and I'll admit that Steinman's sort of simultaneous love of, of, of Phil Spector and Bruce Springsteen, that idea that you could tear that music away from gritty authenticity and just accentuate the histrionics of it, is you know it's a good project but i won't listen to any meatloaf song apart from this one what blew my mind this week uh, you know when we did um uh sister sledge uh greatest dancer yes. and it was mind-blowing to all of us that the lyrics are actually yeah. oh what wow he's the greatest dancer not you wonder why yes honestly you're gonna <laughs> think i'm so fucking stupid but i only just realized this week that it's rock and roll and brew yes i thought it was rue I thought it was Rue. I thought it was some New Orleans <laughs> reference or about kangaroos or something. Until this week. <laughs> Until this week. I'm such an idiot. Rock and roll and a white sauce for lasagna. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It makes no sense. But, um, <laughs> it, it, but yeah, I only figured out it's... Or, friend, or, and of or, course, or the chef that recently departed <laughs> us. Well, quite, quite. Mm. But I mean, look, it, 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 it's finally this song make, makes more sense. But when you're a kid, you're not really looking for sense. You're just looking for this bombardment i remember loving this video and yeah. even at age nine as i was um share set of feelings <laughs> that were powerful and palpable most definitely mm. i mean i hate the term brew anyway for beer 
Because it just sounds like, when you say brew, to me, it means fart. <laughs> I'm brewing a beefy ego. Uh, not not tea, not a cup. Yes, tea, yes, yes. Rock and roll and, and tea, and a cup <laughs> yeah. of tea and then I sit down. They don't mean yeah. a thing when I compare them next to thee. <laughs> <laughs> I love my American pop craze youngsters, mm. but if they if I was ever in a pub with them and they offered me a brew, I would chuck it in the face. <laughs> But particularly if they said brewski, I fucking hate that. <laughs> Have a pint, you cunts. <laughs> Rock and roll and a pint. Rock yeah. and roll and, and some Stella. It just doesn't scan, man. I mean, you know, you've, no. got to, you've got to work with, you know. If it's any consolation, Neil, I used to think, probably because of the, the shitty uh, stereos that I would have mm. first heard this on, and not hearing, not hearing it in context, or not paying attention to the the rest of the lyrics, I thought it was rock, rock and rolling through. Ah, which would make right. more sense. So there you than go, rolling. something completely different. Which didn't, yeah. which also I was like, what? But then the song was over, and I hadn't really thought about it. But it's ah, it's so great. It's such a joy, isn't it? The whole thing. The video is so good. The song is so good. It's just yeah. The energy of it is, it, I mean, it's, it's a full, the, the actual full video is, is a good five minutes and it, it just zips yes. by and yes. it tells a story. I mean, the, the, the story is actually a little bit bleak once you pick at it because mm. it is like two, it's a couple of sad, lonely people who go to a bar all the time yeah. just to drink because they don't know what else to do. Yeah. And then it's like, she's got a bloke on, aren't she? Has she? Yes. What do you mean she's got a bloke on? <laughs> she says, I'm looking for anonymous and fleeting satisfaction and I want to tell my daddy I'll be missing in action. Ah. Ever since I can remember you've been hanging around this joint, my daddy never noticed, now he finally get the point. Now, obviously, 1982 me, um. we think, oh, a, a dad. She wants to piss her dad off yeah. by uh, hmm. by knocking off meatloaf. But obviously, it's a it's a husband stroke uh. partner. Oh, shit. My daddy never noticed. But after he finds out I've been nobbing you, he's, oh, no. he's going to... Uh, he's going to go and yeah. beat up Meatloaf, which you must not do. I mean, he, he must, <laughs> Meatloaf must be protected. So it's going to end badly. We know that. Yeah, because oh, I don't yeah. think Meat can cope. I don't think he. I don't think anyone could cope with just what a tornado of... of what a force of nature Cher is in this video. And it's like, if Meat <laughs> me and his mates, they're like a kind of slightly dweebier version of, of the T-Birds out of Greece. Whereas, whereas yes. Cher and her mates, they're like yeah. that moment in Goodfellas when Karen meets all the other mob wives. Um, yeah. they're, they're much more hardcore. So, yeah, there is that imbalance. But that's what's glorious right. about it. That's what's glorious about it. Well, yeah. they're, like, they're like the Lizzie's out of the Warriors. Yeah. yeah. You know, they're like an actual yes. girl gang, aren't they? Yes. The chicks are packing. It's a true the duet. Are it, it's a true, true duet. There's a balance there. That, and, I, and I have to say, Cher wins. Um, it's not, yeah. there's not a male. Oh, she's a, in control. Yeah, there's not a male putting across his, you are going to be mine type shit. Um, it's yeah. much more nuanced yeah. than that. It's much more balanced. And that's what makes mm. it such a thrilling and exciting record. Because during its yeah, duration, yeah. you really don't know how it's going to play out. Um, they're not no. already in love. They're, they are sparking across a bar. And that's what's exciting about, yes. about, about, the, about the song. Yeah. Like she's calling his bluff, isn't she, basically? It's mm. just, yeah. yeah. And the, I love the whole, you're saying the kind of the stare, and he does do that. He's, he's you know, kind of playing opposite. And it is playing opposite because there's a lot of, you know, there is that dramatic thing, which, again, which leaves me cold in that, yeah, that most of his music does leave me cold in the, in the same way that you said, Neil. But also there's mm. as a performer, he's so, there's so much there, there's so much energy. And there's this kind of slight mania, but it's not threatening. It's not uh, aggressive. It's not 
you know so they kind of come they all come barreling in hooting and we're we're some guys and he does this thing he does this stare which is basically it's kind of a cartoon thing it's like a sort of tex avery wolf yeah when he sees yeah, a yeah, woman yeah. and he yeah, sees yeah, yeah, yeah. Cher, and it's like uh, and you think he's gonna like take off his shoe and like hit himself in the head with it you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh but it's not yeah. it's totally serious and totally intense the best bit for me is when uh she's doing her pieces and um uh, one of Meatloaf's mates is obviously gabbing onto him, but he just he just turns around and just raises the hand for yeah, him to talk to. And I just yeah. say, what did that lad yeah. say? Did he say, oh, fucking hell, they've got Pac-Man now. Come on, let's have a go. <laughs> he's like, no, 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 no. The woman is talking. It's great. It's really respectful, actually, because it's like, look, the woman is talking. Yes, also, let I the might woman talk. Also, I very, but shh, stay, be very quiet. It's like, I might be yes. in with a chance. Don't move mm. a muscle. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. So all yeah. these are so yeah. many little moments like that it, that are just wonderful. Yeah. And you know, also the fact that I, I, I have to say that that Cher is swigging from a like a, a glass from a pint glass from a tankard, and yes. you know, and it's not her first one either. And she that is a woman who can a hold stein, her beer. If you will, it's a Ugh. stein. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A steinman. Quite. Steinman. But yeah, so we get to the point where meat lays on some awful chat-up lines. You know, you've got the legs that do more than walk. You've got the eyes that do more than see. He might as well have chucked in, you've got the kind of arse that does more than shit. <laughs> because that always goes down well with women, I find, when I use that one. And um, we learn that Cher has got a bloke on, but she's up for some saucy fun. Uh, a, a share out if you will. And then all of a sudden... Some of those lads who they're beginning, they 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 they've obviously nipped off and they've come back dressed up as if they've come off their shift as an ill devo tribute act, <laughs> or you know they've been playing snooker and they just hoik share and meet up on the mm. bar. And this is where my um, suspension of disbelief wavered because it only took two of them to get meet up there, and he is twenty stone at the mm. time, so neither of them look like Jeff Cape. So I'm assuming wires were involved. <laughs> And they do the dancing on the bar thing, which, you know, was very popular in the 80s. Yeah. Because, as I've said before, there was a there was a, a, a disco bar in Nottingham. Uh, used to be known as New York, New York. And there were flyers that said, yes, our bar staff do wear shorts and dance on the bar. <laughs> but you want to go to that bar, though, don't you? I mean, that's like a that's an excellent. Yeah. Um, that's like a proper dive bar of, yeah. of the sort that is that is precious and, and, and must be must be defended. Um, yeah. uh, that you can't, you don't really get here. You sort of do. There's still, there's still some dive bars, but um, you know, it, it's it's really an American thing, and it's really a you know, mm. and that's you want to go there. You want to either dance on the bar or stand underneath and watch someone else dancing on it, and you know, it's the, yeah. the atmosphere is like crackling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I probably thought this is what all pubs were like <laughs> around about this time. I was massively disappointed mm. when I turned eighteen, but um, I mean, you, you know, share leaves at the end uh, to cut herself a slice of loaf, if you will, <laughs> whilst hoping she doesn't get the crust. And everyone else just has a lovely time. I got it into my head, the stag do vibe, because everyone's wearing a T-shirt with his name on it. Mm. And I just thought, you know, you have all these businesses that, that organise hen do's and stag do's, and it's all boring shit like paintballing and airsofting and making a pot and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> Why hasn't anybody set up a business where you have the hen do and the stag do on the same yeah. night? And at this, at a certain point, everybody meets up and they yeah. recreate the video for Dead Ringer. <laughs> 
How fucking amazing would that be? That would be amazing. awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, the lovely thing is, Al, what you mentioned earlier, you know, there's nobody winching him onto the bar or anything. Meatloaf's size is never mentioned in this record no. and, uh, or mentioned no. in the video or even obliquely joked about or anything like that. And it, I'm not saying, uh, as an age nine, age 10, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have been thinking about this much. But what this record is about and this video in particular is about is that, you know, I mean, we've all mentioned you're the one that I want because it, yeah. it was obviously such a powerful and palpable influence on so many things. But, you know, you're the one that I want. That's the two best looking people in the film. Yeah. getting off with each other. Yeah. Whereas this just, I don't know, it provides hope. You know, yes. ordinarily, it provides hope. If you're that somebody like me. me, if you're somebody like me, you might think somebody who looks as astonishing as Cher does in this video is out of your league. But no, it's just about confidence, love, ability, energy, etc. It's, it's a really, it's yeah, and good singing. It's an yeah. uplifting that, thing in that sense. That is Meatloaf's whole thing though, isn't it? Is that his like extreme vulnerability that he just yeah. deals with, and the, but the extreme sort of courage that goes along with that, that he just is. I mean, like, even the fact that he took his kind of cruel high school nickname on and gave himself, yes. that, that's yes. his name. He just absorbed it mm. and took it on. That's what I love about him, really. Mm. I mean, look, I have found him absurd and, and embarrassing before and sort of laughed at him and, and thought of him as a joke. But I kind of, now that I have matured a bit, I I see it differently because it's like, this is somebody who's actually kind of come from... Really, you know, there's some, some really dark, painful stuff in his past. His father was a, a kind of alcoholic shithead who beat him mm. and he had to sort of escape and ended up going to L.A. just because it's like, I need to go somewhere. And that's the first flight out of Dallas. And mm. so that's why. Mm. And it could all have gone really badly wrong really early for him. you yeah. know. And he was uh, and he was always big and he was always like the, you know, um, and that is a difficult thing to be. It's difficult for big women, but it's also it's it's possibly now more difficult for big guys to be in the public eye or to present themselves as, as sexy or in any way yeah. Yeah, yeah. because there kind of isn't the cultural, the culture kind of doesn't allow it. There's a lot mm. of pressure to say, no, that's yeah. not going to be your role. That's not what you are. You're the joke. And he's kind of done that. He sort of pushed through it and he's like, yeah, I'm yeah. the joke, but without, without getting hung up on that, like, yeah, I'm the joke. So what? Yeah. I'm fat. Yeah. Fuck you. He's gone like, trucked right past that and just punched yeah. through somehow but yeah. also just as a performer obviously a great singer one of the you know just incredibly powerful voice and mm. just a, a huge generosity as a performer mm. and a complete seriousness in what he's doing and he cares so so much there's a couple of documentaries that i've seen about him and there was one where he talks about it's really moving he talks about how much he cares for his audience, for his fans, and all he wants is to make them happy. And he's like crying, and you will cry. You watch this, and you go, Aww. "Oh my god!" And there are so many people who, um, you know, there are so many performers who are sort of trying to fill some kind of yawning void that they that is never. And I don't know. I think there's, you know, there's a lot of sort of deeply wounded, fragile people who who get drawn into, you know, who are also very talented who get who get drawn into, uh, you know, who who end up as with more fame than they can handle and you know it's very difficult yeah. but i think there's something to be said for whether you enjoy their shit or not and meatloaf for the most part i don't but it's it's not it's not for me but i'm so grateful to him i feel like that you should be grateful for people who devote their lives and their whole selves to entertaining others like mm. whether it's for you or not it's like just you know there is they have got something to teach i think he was sent to teach us something about how to live about how mm. to fully inhabit the self and be endlessly generous with whatever it is that you have to give of yourself. Mm. 
And and I don't think we deserve him, to be honest. Uh... I, I would say, right, that commercially, obviously, Bat Out of Hell's his biggest record. And, of course, none of us ever want to hear it ever again. No. Um, but uh, this particular song, Dead Ringer for Love, what he's created is that really special thing. It's a record you never need to find, and you don't need to put it on in your house. But you will encounter this. Might be three years, four years, five years from now. Who knows? But when it comes on, you'll feel that charge. Mm. And you'll never need to hear it again for another year or so after that. But every time this comes on, and it will come on on the radio or in a pub, and and that, that that'll do. You don't need to seek out this music. It will come at you every three years, and it will excite you. And it still does. Mm. You know, we're all familiar with this. And I must have watched this video loads and loads of times. But it's it's an endless thrill. It's yeah. a hugely enjoyable video, so, isn't it? It's oh, so happy. and massively so important at this point in the episode. I mean, think of what's come before. We've just yeah. had fucking Alton Edwards for Christ's sake. Yeah. we need this. We need this. Yeah, we do, point. and we do, and we do deserve this. I think after after that. Yes. But um, but I, it's like yeah the. Going back to like the last bit, where basically share it's everything's over. You know the 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 battle the battle is over. The battle of the sexes has been won, and everybody wins. And they go off, and he's got his arm around her, and his little red red hanky of victory is flapping in the breeze. And uh, <laughs> and and they they go off into the night to to do stuff, and you know yeah. to do God knows what. And share is going to do a lot to him, and and he's going to like it. Um, mm. and and then yeah, everyone else just dances, and it's like such a it's like a celebration of it's like a celebration of someone that's like yeah they've got off to have sex yeah sex yeah, yeah <laughs> shagging and and like it's a celebration of the end of the song because it just daring for love daring and it just pounds like that for like a minute mm. and it's like it's such a kind of meta celebration of what they're doing and yeah. what you can do in your life and it's it's, it's wonderful oh, casual sex <laughs> so the following week, Dead Ringer for Love moved up four places to number 26, then soared 19 places to number seven, yeah. then dropped down to number nine, oh. and then resurged to number five, Yay. where it stayed for two weeks. Yay. In the meantime, <laughs> Smash Hits readers were introduced to Meatloaf properly when Mark Ellen interviewed him at his home in Connecticut which started with Loaf getting so worked up about his falling out with Steinman and his money problems that he had to take a shower, by which time a sheriff had turned up with legal documents from his ex-manager demanding his house and ended with Loaf running out of the house with a baseball bat, jumping into his car and roaring after the sheriff. Bloody hell, there's a feature that writes itself. Yeah. The follow-up. If You Really Want To would only get to number 59 in May of 1983, but he'd have sporadic chart success in the UK throughout the 80s and would undergo a renaissance in the mid-90s when I'd do anything for love, but I won't do that, got to number one for seven weeks in late 1993. And Cher would go on to become Cher again, but more so. Hello, my darlings. It's me, Anna Mann, actress, singer, welder. Gotta have a backup. I've been in everything, my darlings, and I've been cut from most things. However, I will not be cut from one thing, and that is my own podcast, Talking to Actors with Anna Mann, where I meet those rarest of creatures, the actors. 
That's Talking to Actors. Look out for the new series starting soon on The Great Big Owl. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. That's Meatloaf, dead ringer for love. And he's a big gun. I'll bet you that girl with him is Cher. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's a new outfit. They come from Eastbourne. They call themselves the Mobiles. Pow, in front of some more gurning, clapping zoo wankers, goes on about what a big lad meatloaf is again and lays a bet that the woman in the video was sheer because unbelievably there was an actual time when people had to be reminded who sheer was. Then he introduces us to a new outfit from Eastbourne, Mobiles with Drowning in Berlin. Formed in Eastbourne in 1980, Mobiles were signed to Rialto Records a year later and this is their debut single. It's a new entry in the UK chart at number 48, which is good enough to get them a slot on an early January top of the pops. Here they are in the studio and, oh dear, the six-form drama group have discovered a Betamax of cabaret at the local (laughs) video rental shop. I mean, before we get into the song and everything, why the obsession with Germany in the early 80s? Uh, Well, because Germany, in a pop sense, had been exerting an influence for some while. Mm. So, Kraftwerk, but more importantly, Bowie and his whole Berlin Mm. period in Eno and everyone else. Mm. And it does reach this kind of zenith, 81, 82. Things Mm. like Associates, New Car in Germany, but also those early Simple Minds albums. There is just this obsession with Germany, partly borrowed from Bowie. But just, Mm. yeah, for that kind of glacial cool that they're all looking for. And I do think what you've mentioned, Cabaret, um, repeated screenings of that on telly probably had a powerful, powerful effect as well. So it is is a motif that's kind of everywhere. My theory is that for 70s kids, Germany, or at least Germany a few decades earlier, was the second most fascinating country in the world after America. But, you know, by this point, we've, we'd experienced World War Two and Nazi burnout by this time. You know, we, we're moving away from battle and commando. But, you know, Kraftwerk, the highest new entry at number 21 with a model this week. Um, we've just had Ball with David Bowie on the telly, uh, Christiana F., 
and we're about to have Dar 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 by Trio and, and <laughs> Alfie his own pet. So yeah, we're all open to to the former West Germany. I feel yeah, yeah. But whereas previous kind of interest in Germany had perhaps been because you know it was it was the frontier of the Cold War, if you like, and and mm. it's where you know all of our pontifications and kind of artiness about the Cold War actually was grounding concrete reality so people kind of appeal to it to get that kind of feeling of dread um, in a sense into their music by this time by 82 we are now i think in a in a sort of differently superficial age if you like and its treatment of kind of that cabaret feel um is is much more superficial so the intended effect of what we see with this particular song is meant to be kind of germanic cabaret like but the the actual effect of it is is substantially less than that. Um, mm. Not helped by any of the band The Mobiles or their awful song Drowning in Berlin. <laughs> mm. It's an appalling confection, isn't it? It is. I mean, you, what we have here, we have this sort of sub Susie slash Toya front woman. Um, yeah. Fronting this. Shaking Susie. Yeah. Fronting this kind of. Uh, all the band are at it, to be honest with you. This kind of uh, marionette somewhere between yes. automaton and human feel. It's meant to be unsettling, but actually, I think it's much less unsettling than that bit in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang when uh, Dick Van Dyke pops out of the music <laughs> box. You know, uh, there's so much to dislike here. Um, mm. I don't like the drummer's stick twirls. I don't like, in general, the kind of blonde look of the band. Um, yeah. it's, it's this village of the Birdland type look, so that's an obscure reference. But it's, it, it's And there's this appalling circus moment in the middle of the song. Oh, where, yes. where that's, a, that's, a fairground, that's a fairground thing, isn't it? Because they're from Eastbourne, as, uh, as, as he so helped us. Uh, as Powell so helpfully. Uh, yeah, so they, really, they do lay it on a bit thick. It's like that's their, it's a carousel organ yeah, isn't it which is too it, it, it is too it's too much well the middle eight it's sobre las olas that's uh, yeah is that what that over is? the waves which uh, is yes. yeah it's the waltz written by the mexican composer juventino rosas at the age of 20 in 1888 which is better known as the merry-go-round song and no he <laughs> right. didn't get a credit right. so fuck them <laughs> I'm glad I got the chance to put some Mexican reference in it because you know we've been in the uh, we've been in the top ten music commentary charts in Mexico, <laughs> so I want to give a big shout out to the pop craze young Steros. Yeah, <laughs> hola. Accompanied with with these really kind of wacky looks to camera, that kind of yeah. hey, look at me making a twat of myself, self deprecatory chuckle at the business. We are the robots. Yeah, <laughs> this kind of chuckle. At the beginning, the business of being a pop star. I always hated that. And really, it's no different to what you could imagine, I don't know, Racy or Shawaddy Waddy doing at the same time. <laughs> that kind of chuckle towards the camera. So, yeah, I mean... Anna Marie, the singer. I mean, she's doing textbook Aventis female singer faces, mm. which essentially means look mad. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, mm. she's doing the mm-hmm. starey eyes. And strangle yourself at some point. The thing is, there is a way to do... There's a way to do that, which is to, to do that highly stylized performance without it being pretentious or or unnatural in any way and there are people who could could, Mm. like Susie and like Kate Bush who who obviously can summon that kind of weird that witchy artistic power and unfortunately Anne-Marie is is uh, is is not one of them but I'd I'm gonna sort of stick up for this a little bit because not that it isn't terrible but (laughs) go ahead (laughs) there's kind of okay it's because just skipping skipping ahead slightly uh, Peter Powell afterwards says um, look out for them they're going to be big in 82 and of course we know that mm. narrator 
They were not big in '82, <laughs> and nor at any point afterwards. No. This was their flash in the pan. This was their this was their their go at the uh, to to continue the fair, fairground metaphor, as they say in Germany. Um, yes, <laughs> to say das Pannenblaschen. Um, yeah, they, they, this was their go at the, at the hooker duck and they, they hooked the duck and then the duck fell off and they were never heard of again. And look, there's, yes. there's something about, right, all English seasides are weird. They're, that's just, that's what they are. They're weird. There's different, mm. that's the glory of them. That's, that's the, why we that's like the them. Allure. I love, I, 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 it, it is my thing. Um, there's various categories of weird. There are different axes of weird and, I don't know if you've been to Eastbourne. I went to Eastbourne last year. Eastbourne is kind of in the posh weird category. It's quite, it's quite grand mm. and and stiff and proper mm. and tea roomy and kind of humourless and and dainty, and it's that sort of weird. And it is the the sort of look. Yeah. There's loads of look. There's there's a million uh, British bands that have come from strange little nowhere towns. There is something else about seaside towns because there, there's the sort of there's the shitness and the kind of the poverty and the you know the the lack of opportunity, but there is also the sea. You know, there's there's kind of there's the mm. the most powerful force in nature is right there all the time, and that is it's quite an inspiring thing. But also, this is like oh, this is one way out of your out of your crappy seaside town where you know full of full of grannies who look at you disapprovingly, and they they were trying to bust through, and they did not have quite the right thing and quite the right energy and whatnot to bust through. But I can see how there was that spark, and it it. it it didn't catch because they didn't have it in them. You know, they didn't have to, they had some of the ideas and they had some of the something, but it didn't all quite come together, mm. but they got to top of the pops. They got to top mm. of the pops. Yeah. And made it to the dance. I, they made it to the dance. And, and I, I just, on my second, cause on my first watch of this, I was like, Oh God. And I, I had that feeling of just got, Oh, look at the state of this. Look what they're doing. It's, it's, it's sit down. You're embarrassing yourselves. The mobiles. Uh, but, but, <laughs> Like I appreciate, I appreciate them that they were, they had, they had their go, and that is now, that is now a matter of record, and it's, it's yeah. for you know, and we can watch it and go. They've oh, been on top of the pops more than they we have. have. Been on top of, they have. have, and and the thing is, oh, I'm, I'm a soft ass. You've got a good heart, Sarah, <laughs> and that's hard to find. But, <laughs> so please be gentle with this ass of mine. Um, so yeah, it's, it's. Oh God, you see, we didn't need to bring Fergal Sharky into this. Um, but yeah, it, it no. is. It is kind of terrible. But I, I have a there's a I have a feeling for it that is that is positive. So I looked. I, I looked them up. The thing is, it's too tightened up and too careful and too English. And um, it's kind of like they've had a go at fusion cookery, and it, it's it's inedible, you know, and it, it, it it's not right. Um, yeah. But there's some ideas there. There's some eccentricity mm. kind of struggling to get out, and it's like you're playing at being eccentric mm. very, very carefully and studiedly. When actually you can just be eccentric and it's fine. Just take a take a, a page from the meatloaf book of being yourself and be that. But mm. there you go. But that's what that's what they had, and they gave it their best shot. And yeah. I looked them up, and uh, in um, in a terrible archive copy of the Eastbourne Herald in 2006, uh, I discovered yes. that. Um, they released the CD of this of, of the album that this track is from for the first time, and you know, so it says where it's mm. a sort of where are they now thing, and it's like you know, well she um you know now lives in Seaford, is married with children, works in the health profession, um and oh, good on you her. know, and she's so you know having a normal life as a lot of people do once they've got. I mean, they probably escaped a lot of shit. That's the thing is, it's like you got on top of the pops one time, and then you went and had a normal life, and you know, I'm yeah. sure there was a crushing disappointment yeah. when you got dropped from your label and. Things did not work out, but hopefully now they're okay. And 
Yeah, and they were like, oh, you know, so Dave, Dave Blundell, band's bass player and songwriter, um, said, mm. you know, um, everything was on vinyl. Oh, he's the one who's the robot Joel Grey and got right on my chest. Yeah, he's, yeah shut up, Dave. But, <laughs> Since the line in Berlin. I am doing my thing. Yes. It's not very oh, good. Um, but he said it was all such an adventure. For- I am German. <laughs> He said it was all such an adventure for us. We were just a band practicing in the drive pub. The first week, Drowning in Berlin was released yeah. in the local record shop. Max Records, it outsold the then number one Queen and David Bowie's Under Pressure by three to one. One minute we were doing gigs in Eastbourne, and the next minute we got, we got a call saying they wanted us to do Top of the Pops. They were very exciting times oh. for us all, and we had a wonderful time doing it all. And Anne, yeah. Anna said, "Good, good for it's them. It's all been very exciting and surreal to see the album on CD. So that's." That's nice, isn't it? Yeah. I know. I'm always. Oh, I'm always the one who's like, oh, isn't it nice? Things can be nice. Let's all be nice. But that's fucking nice. Sorry, <laughs> let me have this moment, and I'm I'm happy for them that it it seems to have worked out for them, and I hope that continued. And we didn't get any zoo wankery either. No zoo wankery. Also, we see the audience member who's dressed as a copper having a slow dance with a black girl, which is what the country needed yeah. at the time. Heal those divisions. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the real thing about the Germanness is that a few months later, as mentioned before, I went to Germany on a school exchange and. The youths there weren't interested in, in Germanness at all. They were into Queen and Bob Marley. Mm, mm. And I went to a German school disco and We Will Rock You came on and all the German kids just dropped to their knees right at the beginning. <laughs> and they started genuflecting in time to the drum beat <laughs> while all the British kids were just standing there going, what the fuck is this? I heard De Commissar by Falco there for the first time, which I thought was a fucking amazing song. I was (laughs) shocked that it didn't become a hit in the UK. After the fire had a hit with it, but that's a tune and and we Mm. missed out on it. So we're stupid cunts for that. Going back to what you were saying about like, what what is the thing about Germany? What's the allure? I think it's it's partly that there is Mm. just a a sort of cultural connection that was there to be discovered, I think, between us and, and Germany. There's a sort of... yeah. In some ways, they're very they're, there's, there's notions of the sort of order and precision of of, uh, of of the German way of doing things and like the German mm. the, the language even and the accent and everything. So you know, and that sort of cuts across and is quite alluring to us as as kind of mannered English people who are a bit stiff. And it's like so it's a it's a different way of being sort of controlled and and yeah. precise about things. And also the sense of humour as well. I think is, is yeah. something that. That mm. is a connection because, you know, obviously the, the, the myth is that Germans don't have a sense of humour and actually they are the funniest people. Mm. They're yeah. fucking hysterical. What a shame there wasn't a German band at the time who did a song called Drowning in Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> what would they say? What would their version of Zinzia Line in Berlin be, Neil? <laughs> Oh, God, don't, man. Because, you know, I said I'm working in Birmingham now. Yes. My accent's changing, getting even worse. I'll tell you one thing, though, on the quiet. If you're in an office or a staff room, right, with a load of brummies, don't do a brummy accent. They really don't (laughs) don't find it amusing in the slightest. Oh, my God. I did that on the first day I was there. Didn't make many friends. Oh, no, I know. It's all water under the bridge. The the other thing is, the other thing to annoy... I can't even say Brummagens or whatever. People from Birmingham. You know how they're really, in Birmingham, they're really pushing the Peaky Blinders thing. Mm-hmm. You know, don't point out to them that it's not working and they'll be forever known as Benny Town <laughs> to the rest of us. 
It's but everywhere, like man. That. It's everywhere, that Peaky Blinders thing. Near where yeah, I work in it. Birmingham. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, calling them yim-yams pisses them off as well, actually, because they're not yeah. yim-yams. Uh, yim-yams are from the black country. They're actually yow-yows. <laughs> Um, yeah, oh yeah, right. Also, they really don't like it when you point out that they say they say mom instead of mum. They hate that. Yeah, because every year they get pissed off when they have to buy their mum a birthday card because it doesn't say mom on it. So, yeah. I'll order it from America then, obviously. <laughs> so the following week, drowning in Berlin entered the top forty at number thirty. Then it soared seventeen places to number thirteen, and two weeks later, it got to number nine, its highest position. This forced lead singer Anna Marie to pack in her day job at Superdrug in Eastbourne as she would be mobbed every weekend by pop-crazed youngsters, according to the internet. (laughs) However, the follow-up, Amore Amore, was dismissed in the smash hit single review page as Drowning in Vienna. Mm. Very good. And would only get to number 45. The next five singles, including a cover of Build Me Up Buttercup, failed to chart and they split up in 1984. Front person Anna Marie and guitarist Russ Madge went off to form the synth duo The Avengers, while keyboard player John Smithson joined Jason Bonham's band Bonham. <laughs> <laughs> from Mobiles, a track called Drowning in Berlin, and that is their first time on Top of the Pops. Look out for them, they're going to be big in 82. Here's the charts, number 30. At 30, Dead Ringer for Love from Meatloaf. At 29, Lunatics have taken over the asylum, the Fun Boy 3. At 28, Wild is the Wind, David Bowie. At 27, Stars over 45 from Chaz and Dave. At 26, Don't Walk Away, the Four Tops. At 25, our theme tune, Yellow Pearl, Philip Linus. At 24, four more from Toya. At 23, Hokey Cokey, The Snowman. At 22, Bed Sitter from Soft Cell. And at 21, Computer Love from Kraftwerk. But now let's take a look at a record just underneath that top 40. The band of Shack Attack is jazz funk at its best with a track called Easier Said Than Done. <laughs> After being completely wrong about the mobile's dominance of 1982, Powell runs down the chart from number 30 to number 21. And, oh dear, chaps, them band photos, they're disappointingly uh, adequate, aren't they, as always? They are. They're getting bland now, aren't yes. they? And, and it, it's part of the kind of ongoing things that Hurl is doing. Those kind of little idiosyncratic shots that we remember so fondly from previous episodes yeah. have kind of disappeared. These look like they're straight from the record company, straight from the press. Good pack. to see the snowmen still hanging in there, though. <laughs> Wasn't there a rumour going round that it was Ian Jure, which was a complete load of bollocks? <laughs> yeah. It was a the only interesting thing about that rundown for me was uh, Powell still referring to Kraftwerk's latest single as Computer Love when in a previous episode uh, we've already pointed out that Computer Love was originally released as the A-side uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. but DJs weren't having it and they flipped it over to the model. So, you know, by this point it's the model that's the uh, 
that's the default and the de facto A-side. Howell's getting titles wrong. He's getting all kinds of things wrong in this episode. Nah. We then cut back to the studio to reveal Powell standing on a lower platform next to some of the second-tier zoo wankers, which makes him look about three feet tall. That was a bad choice, wasn't it? This is a particularly statuesque female zoo wanker who's just towering over him. He's just a a sort of giantess, yeah, in like gold and blue shiny tinsel. Yeah. And a Tory in a blazer, like a young Tory. (laughs) He does, he does. I thought he was a chubby Damon Alburn. <laughs> Eventually, Powell introduces, quote, jazz funk at its best. <laughs> Easier said than done by Shack Attack. Formed in Bishop Stortford in 1980, Shack Attack were originally a three-piece jazz rock group called Tracks, which consisted of Bill Shop, who was working for the BBC as an engineer, including handling assorted John Peel sessions, Keith Winter, who was Tina Charles's musical director in the mid-70s. Fucking no, Tina Charles is the fucking epicentre of everything, isn't she? Mm-hmm. And the session musician Roger Adele. After linking up with the Record Shack label, hence the name Shack Attack, and pulling in the singers Jill Solwood and Jackie Raw, and the keyboard player Nigel Wright, who had scored two chart hits in 1981 as the medley act Enigma, they put out four singles in the Aventis, three of which just missed out on the top 40. This is the follow-up to Brazilian Dawn, which got to number 48 in August of 1981, and is the lead-off track from their forthcoming second LP, Nightbirds. It slipped into the lower regions of the chart in late November, Slipped down to number 51 on Christmas week, but this week has resurged nine places to number 42. And here they are in the studio. Number 42 when they get on top of the pops. That's January. You just have to be alive and available uh, at the minute to get on top of the pops in the uh, uh, first week of January in 1982. Shack Attack. Fucking hell. <laughs> um I mean, th- there is a ton of brilliant jazz funk, like Herbie Hancock, Donald Byrd, Bob James, Roy Ayers, all of which I avoided for at least 15 years because I was worried they'd sound like Shack Attack. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know you're what I mean? right, yeah. This is such a dull slice of jazz funk, as, as Peter Powell calls it, with these horrible extended mm. piano breaks and shit. Um, and, it, you know, it's not for Top of the Pops, to be fair. Um, again, no. we get the the powerful. It's for a shopping centre, isn't it? This is it uh, for a brand new food court in a shopping centre that thinks it's summer. But we get we get a, a, as we do quite frequently in this episode. We get that stink of payola a little bit. We also get this sign that perhaps the future mm. funketeers who are going to take on things that freeze and loose ends have done are going to be increasingly bland and increasingly like shack attack. Um, mm. This isn't, I don't think, the shack attack. Of- performance in which um the keyboard player gave me a look down the camera that so oh. antagonized me as a child <laughs> never ever was, i was wondering about that um it remains a, a, just this barbed bit of venom in my memory of how much that antagonized me that look gave me a murderous oh, rage this isn't the it. episode uh, or the performance where um that look is given to me but um at least i could figure out which keyboard player it was it was um the guy yeah. with the pink trousers and the slight feather cut. Um, it wasn't the other keyboard player. Right. He's like a big beardy guy. That would have been oddly compelling, no. actually. because The one that looks like Giant Haystacks, his little brother. <laughs> Jazzy Haystacks, if you will. He looks like um, 
darts legend Andy the Viking Fordham. But the guy who does look at the camera, oh God, you, you don't Bill really Sharp. want him engaging with you as a child, yeah. to be honest with you. He's the kind yeah. of overly enthusiastic, uh, trendy teacher slash trendy vicar that you don't really want near you at any age, let alone as a youngster. No. Um, you know, I'm a child, leave me alone. Um, I mean, look, lead singers should break the fourth wall on top of the pops now and then, but you you, you kind of want Adam Ant doing it or, or Kim yes. Wilde doing it, um, you know, or even Mark Orman doing it. You don't want this creepy fucker no. doing it. And also with this performance, Zoo are, of course, oh, yeah. to to just cement my dislike of this song and this performance. Mm. Again, doing a dance that barely seems related yeah. to the music. You know, this is ostensibly funk music. Um, yeah. And that requires a little roll of the shoulders. It requires yeah. looseness. And Zoo don't have looseness. They can't do it. Um, what Zoo do is this kind of shit waltz ballroom yeah. type step, broken into watching Torval and D. Yeah. Um, I hate them so much. And even though... Even though Zoo dominate the back of the stage, the brief glimpse we get of the audience mm. show that the audience, they know how to dance to this music. Yeah. Um, they're swooping and gliding and being loose. But what's foregrounded is the shit kind of robotic dancing yeah. of Zoo. And, and, and as Sarah suggested earlier, that kind of, the mess has gone. Those, it's the wrong kind of mess. Yeah, it is. One of the lovely things about Top of the Pops is that those ordered lines between performers and dancers and audience sometimes yeah. get a bit blurred and smudged. And that has gone now. That vaguely pell-mell feel yeah. has gone now. We've got the band there. We've got the audience there. We've got the proper dancers there. And it will be ever thus. Mm. I didn't think it was possible to have Manhattan transfer light. But here we are. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, I don't know, Manha- Manhattan Iron-On? I don't know. There's, there's oh, very there. good. Yeah, it's a kind of, the best you can say for it is, it's a sort of, uh, I, I don't hate the refrain. I think it's quite a pleasant refrain. It's been going around my head off and on in recent days. And I've been mm. okay with it, because I always have music going in my head. And all I can do is, is I can change it. Sometimes I have to actually sing a thing out loud to like dislodge what is stuck in there. But I can do it. Mm. And a lot of the time I've just let this play because it's background in the backgroundingest it's, yeah. way. And it's all right. Yeah. You know, it's 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 sort of a you know, it's quite nothing. I mean that one of the weird things about this is how too long it is, given you know, yeah. the sort of hate oh, it really bends the episode out of shape because, mm. you know, you've kind of topped and tailed the glorious wonder of the Dead Ringer video. So we don't get the whole Dead Ringer video. Uh, we get a tiny snippet of, of Foreigner, which, you know, fair enough. But this is so long and it doesn't do anything and it just goes on and on and on. And then it goes on a bit more. Yeah. And, you know, it, it it's just kind of this sagging kind of baggage in the in the middle of this episode or, to, you know, just pulling this episode down in, if, if, if that were possible. Yeah. There's some interesting looks going on here. They're such a kind of rag bag, aren't they? Of, I mean, oh, you yeah. have got you've got the one token happy hairy barbarian yeah. <laughs> on the keys over yes. there, who's having a rare Jazz time. Andy Fordham, as I'm going to call him <laughs> from now on. I realised who else he looks like. You know the um, <laughs> the episode of Blackadder where uh, it's Blackadder mm. two and Blackadder's yeah. skin and he has to raise oh, a yeah, thousand pounds yeah. by by the end of the day, and so they oh, go down yes. to the docks and oh, see yes. if they can 
do favours for sailors. Yes. Can you say, Mummy, kiss it better and you shall have a story? He looks like that guy. <laughs> now then, how much do you charge for a good hard shag? <laughs> That's that. He is that guy. Um, but yeah. yeah, I'm not sure. So the two singers, I'm not sure. Um, I, I, apologies to, to them because, you know, I can at least get... Jill and Jacker. Jill and Jackie. Is it Jill or is it Jill Jackie? Jill and Jackie, who's... who look like they work at a new romantic medieval banquet in Sweden, don't they? <laughs> it's that kind of thing where some bloke dressed up as Adam Ant just, just comes through a window halfway through and gets broken glass in your chicken. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah, but she's kind of trying to be sultry and she's got like part crimped hair, which was the style at the time. Yes. And so, sort of those, I don't know, she's got like kind of cut off evening gloves. So she's trying to, you know, or, yes. or possibly just full evening gloves. And a, a lacy evening off the shoulder top, which is slightly Soho mm. hostess, isn't it? It's a mm. bit meh. And they both have yeah. on the same massive taffeta skirt. And yes. One of them, yes, the, the blonde looks a little bit like Liz Truss. I'm really sorry. But, she <laughs> and, but I, it's, as usual, I find something endearing in it, which is that she, at one point, she's trying to be sultry. And then at one point she sort of breaks character mm. a bit and almost starts giggling yeah. you know and i love to see that when people who are really enjoying themselves on top of the box but also i, I love to see people just collapsing a bit under the weight of the the duffness yeah. of it all and you know the duffness of themselves maybe like it just suddenly occurs to them this is ridiculous yeah. what we're doing here isn't this silly you know yeah, there's a yeah. little, little bit of that the problem is they are kind of like the two members of shack attack that you remember but yeah they're no, being poorly no. served in this performance simply because mm-hmm. they look like zoo wankers they might as well mm. be zoo wankers they're right next to the zoo wankers yeah, yeah. dressed like zoo wankers and then all of a sudden they start singing it's like oh yeah. fuck what a zoo singing now oh, oh, oh they're part of the band <laughs> And this is the thing about Zoo. It's like Top of the Pops has gone, oh, yeah, oh, yeah bands, yeah. musicians playing musical instruments on a music <laughs> show. That's boring. People don't want to see that. They want to see some dance. <laughs> so we cut to shots of Zoo dancing. You see two of them doing a bit of Brian Rogers connecting. And then you've got um, City Farm at the back. And, and it's blatantly obvious that unless Flick Colby tells them what to do, they can't even fucking dance. On job. Podgy Damon Alburn, he's terrible. <laughs> he's like your fucking dad at your 21st birthday, do. It's, it's appalling. This, uh, this extra incorporation of dance into the show, it kills the energy of the show. That's the thing. Top of the Pops yes. creation is all about the ment- maintaining of energy. At this point, right, I reckon this record got chose because they thought, oh, Zoo will be able to do a dance routine to that. Yes. But if you're a kid at home watching it, you have gone through this episode, right? You started off with Yellow Pearl, great. Then a sudden mm. drop in energy. Then an up in energy with Meatloaf. Then a drop in energy with the mobiles. You want something now, which is mm. not jazz funk for 30-something. You know, you want something no. that's exciting. No. And this is purely there, you feel, to showcase Zoo, to showcase their manoeuvres. And yes. it, this is a pop music show. This is not a dance show. This is not the hot shoe show. Yeah. So, you know, no. it, 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 I, I suspect <laughs> that the incorporation... The sweaty leotard <laughs> show. Yeah, I mean, I suspect, the, I suspect <laughs> the use of Shack Attack here is to get Zoo front and centre. And, um, yeah. you know, just like anything associated with that dance troupe, it fails. And by this point in the show, I would be getting... You know, Shack Attack guy hasn't even looked at me and I'd be furious. Because of the yeah. sheer just drop off here, we've we've had Dead Ringer for love like five minutes ago, but all that adrenaline is now yeah. 
gone. Spent, just like meatloaf probably is by this time. <laughs> to be fair, that is a, you know, it, it's a video. So that, yes. that is going to like, that's sort of removed from the whole thing anyway. Yeah. But, you know, obviously what you want is just for them to play that whole thing three times. The thing is, you actually do want to see Shack Attack going mm. about the business. D- d- simply so you could just coat them down. I mean, Bill, right, he doesn't give you that look. <laughs> but, oh man, number one, he's got yeah. red trousers on. Yeah, yeah. Shiny red trousers. Sticking his ass right out. Boots, yeah. Yeah, it's like he's... Sticking his ass right out, either to display it or because he actually can't stand up straight in those trousers. But it is yeah. like a sort of mating display. It's like he's going, oh, don't I look like a baboon? <laughs> he's got that keyboard thing again, isn't it? It's like, oh, well, I'm standing up at a keyboard. What do I do? I know, I look like I'm having a shit. No, but that's the thing with standing up at a keyboard, right? We had to cancel rehearsal. Uh, the other night so I couldn't yeah. sit down and play keyboards right I was around my mate's house uh, yeah. and she's got a keyboard set up in the back room so we were having a bit of a rehearsal and then a sing song and I had to stand up because there was no seat adequate enough for the height of this keyboard and it makes you do these yeah. things it makes you point fingers yeah. out to an imaginary crowd <laughs> that aren't there it makes you just suddenly act in a really really 80s way why do they do that though neil i mean what i try to say i don't need no fucking stool i've got jazz I, and I, funk i do not get it i mean it's not i sit on it's them it's not even as if he's going between two different keyboards or something he's just got this one keyboard just sit fucking down man you're not adding to anything standing up like that yeah or raise the fucking stand yeah why yeah yeah, yeah. Why hasn't anybody worked out? Yes. Why hasn't anybody in the musical instrument industry worked out a stand that you could, you know, adjust <laughs> to, to get the proper well, fucking you know, height? These, these things exist, but yeah. Well, if it, it, it exists, fucking use them. <laughs> There's some poor sod at the front of this stage. They're not getting on the teller. They're having to peer through this forest of zoo wankers. And what are they looking at now? They're looking at Bill What's-His-Name's red arse. His red, shiny arse. <laughs> That's it, which he must be massively proud of because he's made yeah. that decision. I don't think that was a decision made by Michael Hurl or anything. That's a decision by Shack Attack because I remember, look, that so enraged yeah. me. He was in exactly doing the same shit. He wasn't sat down. Mm. He was at a keyboard that wasn't at quite the right height. Sort of, yeah, jabbing his ass out. He's not got a great ass. No, he hasn't. Um, so I don't see why he's so proud about it for. <laughs> Sit down, man. Oh god, this is what this is what self isolation does for a man. You end up having a conversation about Bill what's it out of Shack Attack's arms. <laughs> this is healthy. This is healthy. Let's just let it let it all out. Let it all out, man. Yeah, just... it is. Yeah. We've not even discussed the bassist who's wearing a pale future jumpsuit and it looks like Nick Drake if those antidepressants he was on had actually worked oh, instead man. of killing him. I, I, yeah, that's it's bad. It might just need it. It might that's just a need look. A, a belt to bring it together. Yeah. Maybe I did enjoy. There was there was a lot to look at there, and I would I have to I have to say I would those uh, Bill's white cowboy boots with Cuban heels. I'd wear the fuck out of those. Although I have to say. Public service announcement. Yeah. I did, but I did get some like cheap white boots because I was like, I'm gonna, yeah, that'll that look great, and they do look great. And the first time I wore them, they got like oil on them. Oh no! Like, How? I don't know because because that's that's you know because God hates the vanity of anyone who wears white, basically. So you just can't it, it, white shoes. It's just like ha, ah, fuck you. And he sent the oil directly. So you got you got some white shoes. boots with oil on them. Simon's got yeah. some white platform boots with blood on them. Neil? Yeah. Hmm. I'll come back to you. What have you got on your white boots? (laughs) (laughs) I swear to God, I wear, you know, black boots all the time. And it's not just 
that the oil doesn't show up. It's literally not there because yeah. because that's just not how the world works. Yeah, and I think the sooner we learn that, the better. It's not only that zoo, the zoo wankers to the back of us and zoo wankers to the side of us. In this performance, there are zoo wankers actually in front of us, blocking our view of Shack Attack. Yeah, there's yeah, this yeah. one. There's this one woman with blonde hair and some kind of black sort of strappy belted mm. off outfit who's just giving it all the oh I'm having such a great time <laughs> look and moves and it's just like can you fuck off yeah. please and at that point you're yeah, thoroughly yeah, confused yeah. who's in the band who's not in the band etc and matter of if this yeah. song was on there'd have been nobody at the back and you'd have known that this is Shack Attack of the band you might have no. thought they were shite but at least you know that that was the band this zoo at the back, yeah, man. And for a band who's just coming up, they don't need that. It's like a jazz funk Where's Wally, isn't it? <laughs> where's Shack Attack? Yeah, and literally no kid at home would have known what Shack Attack looked like or who they were at that point. I wouldn't have thought. They haven't, yeah. you know, really exploded or anything. And they never would into popular consciousness amongst kids. So yeah. we need that definition. We need the band. We need the audience. And mm. here's a remarkable thing. Yeah, a matter of three years ago, it would have been enough for just to have the band and the audience. There were top of the pop yeah. appearances where you didn't see any dancers. No. And, you know, no. that would have been fine here. Yeah, it was like, you know that song you've been hearing on the radio that you might like or, or yeah. not? Well, here, here are the people who made it. Yeah, and here was people. Why don't we look at exactly. them for a bit? Exactly. Whenever, um, and, and not to drag things back to that um, late Melody Maker trauma that me and Sarah revisited on that episode, but this is, this is, you know, wherever you work and whenever you've worked, found a period where bright ideas come down the pipe and you just have to mm. go with them. Um, this was a bright yeah. idea down the pipe. It's a shit idea and they needed to drop it. We're here for a good yeah. few years yet with this yeah. zoo nonsense. Yeah, I mean, if this was a club that you and your mates had just walked into, <laughs> you'd, be straight you'd be frantically looking for your mates at the bar to just drag him the fuck away and say, don't order anything, we're going now. <laughs> Have you ever met anyone who actually liked Shack Attack and admitted to it? That's a good question, man. That's a really good question. No, I haven't. Um, and I have asked. Don't get me wrong, I have yeah. asked. But, um, well, you know, you need to know, don't you? I don't know how. You know, if you go on a date or anything, that's pretty much <laughs> the first question I ask. You, you don't like Shack Attack, do you? <laughs> do you like pina coladas and or Shack Attack? Yes. <laughs> I actually lived with someone who liked Shack Attack. Wow. Yeah. Ricky Clean, who I think I've mentioned before, my flatmate in, uh, in London in the late 90s. And it was him who put me on to Donald Byrd mm. and, um, um, and you know, uh, all, uh, Bob James and all that lot. So I've got yeah, a, yeah. a lot to thank him for. But uh, I had a tape of, uh, I think it was the episode of Top of the Pops yeah. with Nightbirds on it. And we're watching it, and all of a sudden Shack Attack <laughs> popped up. And I knew he was into jazz <laughs> funk, so I just gave him some severe yeah, side yeah. eye. And he just noticed me, and he just, he just mournfully nodded his head. Oh, and no. I laughed at him. For, for about for a good half an hour. I was going to say, know you're just funk, then you don't like Shack Attack. But knowing you're just mm. funk and liking Shack Attack, that's that's just bizarre. Well, no, he said he did like oh, them. Oh, I see. He did like them. You know, it was it was we were 15 years removed from there, and yes, and uh, um, uh, Jill was his uh, was his first crush. Uh, that see. was the second I question I asked, obviously. But yeah, you know, I, I'd like to thank him. Uh, and I'd also like to apologise to him because I, I was working in the wank factory at the time. I was working at Uncle Paul Raymond's wank factory. And he was such a nice, 
kind of straight lace kind of bloke. The nicest bloke I've ever met. Best housemate I've ever had. And uh, I was horrible to him because I, when I was working at, uh, at Paul Raymond, we'd be getting loads of letters in to Mayfair. And a lot of the times, you know, they didn't close photos of their cocks. Yeah. Every night I would walk out the office, I'd go past the waste paper bin, and I'd go, oh, some cock photos here. Oh, shame to waste them. And uh, I'd, I'd put them under his pillar. <laughs> and <laughs> after about two months of this, he came up to me and he said, uh, said I've, I've just had a conversation with my, with my girlfriend. And she said, yeah. Uh, she says, look, can I ask you something? Are you gay? And he said, no. I said, no. He said, well, what, what are these then? And she, she found all these cock photos <laughs> under his pillar that I put there. And, uh, yeah, he had to explain that he lived with a flatmate who was an absolute cunt. And he said, look, I can't believe I'm asking you this, but can, can you not put photos of people's cocks under my pillow anymore? And I said, oh, mate, I'm really sorry. OK, OK, I was just having a... And we, we, you know, we had a good laugh about it. And then uh, the, the, the doorbell rang. And it was his... <laughs> I think it was his best mate. Right. And his girlfriend had, had turned up. And... Uh, he, he went out and then he got some bedding in and brought it into the living room. said, what's the bedding for? They're not crashing here, are they? He said, no, 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 they're, they're going to sleep in my bedroom tonight. I'm going to sleep on the sofa. And I went, oh, all right then. Walked off and then suddenly stopped, turned around and said, I need a word with you. And he said, he said what's up? He says, well, before they go to bed tonight, you, you need to go in that room. Uh, there's a 12-inch black dildo under your pillow. <laughs> I just remembered. So, yeah, Ricky Clean, wherever you are. God bless you, Governor. I do apologise. <laughs> anything else to say about Shack Attack? Oh, anything else to say about only, anything? Oh, so much and yet so little. <laughs> um, I I just bet. All all it is is that I bet and I hope that loads of ostensibly snooty and proper suburban parties started out with this on the mm. stereo and a plate of olivons and ended in really surprising and satisfying orgies. Yeah, maybe. Easier maybe. said than done, Sarah. <laughs> easier said than done. So the following week, easier said than done, entered the top 40 at number 36. And three weeks later, it got to number 12, its highest position. The follow-up, Nightbirds, did even better, getting to number nine in April of this year. They'd spend the mid-80s flitting in and out of the top 40, scoring another number nine hit with Down on the Street in August of 1984 before diminishing returns set in, by which time Bill Sharp worked with Gary Newman on Change Your Mind and Nigel Wright became a full-time producer, releasing a series of Jack Mix singles in the late 80s and then going on to working with Andrew Lloyd Webber and becoming the musical director for The X Factor and Britain's Got Talent. Jesus. Jesus. So now we know who to blame. Fucking yeah. hell. Yeah. When he was doing those house records, though, why the fuck didn't he call himself Jack Attack? He should have. Makes perfect sense, <laughs> doesn't it? And as the shiny red arse of Bill out of Shack Attack sets slowly in the west, <laughs> we're going to leave it there and we're going to finish off tomorrow because fucking hell, I don't know about you, but we, we managed to ring about 25 minutes out of fucking Shack Attack. That's... <laughs> who'd, who'd have thought? 
That's not me. That'll swear down. That'll be merely a blip for compared to the episode when we do actually find the appearance. Yeah. Where his look unsettled me. Because I'm, I'm getting into a pixel, pixel, frame by frame Ooh. analysis of that moment. And exactly why it was so horrific. Yeah, it's a, a brisk dispatching of, of uh, Jack Attack. Yes. <laughs> Relatively speaking. So just a reminder before we go that if you are a $3 Patreon person, you're getting the full episode in one go with no adverts right about now. Your shopping trolley is full of chart music. <laughs> so if you've got some money you don't need, and hey, fucking hell, we, there's not many places you can spend it nowadays, there's a nice little space right down this G-string, baby. <laughs> Fill it. Go on. <laughs> so anyway, let's sign off for now, and let's come back and finish this off tomorrow, mm-hmm. shall we? Yeah. yeah, let's do that. Good skills. Okay, so on behalf of Sarah B and Neil Kulkarnet, my name's Al Needham. I'm telling you, for fuck's sake, please stay pop crazed. Chart music. Hello, I'm Chris England, and I'm here to tell you about the Fun Factory podcast, available now on Great Big Owl. Each time, I will be reading a couple of chapters of my novel, The Fun Factory, a historical comedy about the history of comedy, so it will kind of be like a free audiobook, which you can listen to at the gym, or jogging, or at your desk while pretending to do your job, or on the train, without the embarrassment of people seeing you actually reading a book like some kind of swat. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.